Okay, is that better? Okay, alrighty. Okay, I won't start over, but where was I? Oh, privilege, that was it. Okay, um, it's a great privilege. It's, it's both a joy, a burden, and a privilege. Joy because I love studying God's Word and talking about it. Uh, joy, well, I already said joy, but um, burden is because I want to be accurate when I teach God's Word. And privilege because, wow, God in His faithfulness through the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus saved me many, many years ago. And His grace is continually present and active in my life. So it is great privilege to talk about Him. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 20. Acts 20, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 12. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 12. If you need a Bible, there should be one in back of a chair close by, but it should, the verses should be up on the screen also. So in Paul's day, Troas was a major port city on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Almost seven years previously, Paul had passed through Troas on his way to fulfill his Macedonian call. In our passage this morning, he probably visits Troas twice but only once is it mentioned in the passage itself. And I suppose that when the believers of the church in Troas woke up on that Sunday morning, some 1967 years ago or thereabouts, uh, they had no idea of how special their, their evening church meeting was going to be. What a night to remember for them, for those young believers in Troas. So let's read Acts 20, verse 1 to 12. Now, as I read it, Notice three words that have to do with encouragement. Here we go. So after the uproar ceased, this is right after the riot at Ephesus. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as, as, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Can you blame him? Okay. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and, talk, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while more, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, 
and were not a little comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, open our hearts to learn from your word for the transformation of our souls. Oh, Father, by the power of your spirit, for your glory, amen. We've all had days or nights that were very special. My brother Mark had a such a day when he was at the Minnesota, Fantasy, Minnesota Twins Fantasy Training Camp a few weeks ago in Florida. It's a week where people get to experience what a training camp would be like if they were professional baseball players. The coaches are all retired Twins baseball players or coaches, and Mark, Mark had, had not done really well the last few years, and he was thinking that this would be his last year. But something very special, very special happened this year. He received a special MVP. His award, though, was not for his output at the, at the plate, but for saving a man's life in the batter's box. For during one of their games, a batter collapsed in the batter's box, not hit by a pitch, but hit by total cardiac arrest. Playing second base, Dr. Mark ran in and began CPR, defibrillated him twice, and he recovered. Now for Mark, that was a game to remember. The Church of Troas had a night like that, had a night to remember, Sometime in the spring of 57 A.D., it was a church meeting with an unusually long sermon and a resurrection miracle on top of it. The passage is famous for Eutychus falling asleep in the middle of Paul's sermon, and his misfortune has led to many interesting sermon titles, such as Asleep at the Switch, The Eutychus Factor, Death by Sermon, Falling asleep in church, the view from the pulpit. Okay. Uh, however, this passage is not about falling asleep during a sermon. It is about encouragement. The word appears three times in, in the first two verses and then the last verse that we read. And this word is part of a constellation of words that marked Paul's method of building churches. He taught them the principles of the Christian life and then returned later by letter or in person to continue to establish, build up, strengthen, and encourage them in the way of Jesus. In the last few weeks of our sermon series in Acts, it's easy to see how important encouragement is. Three weeks ago, we learned that getting stuck spiritually is a real problem. Two weeks ago, we learned that Real transformation is possible by the whole church proclaiming God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's encouragement, and I could stop right now, but I'll go on, okay? And we need encouragement. And last week, dear brother Wade taught us that Jesus Christ is in the business of disrupting and transforming our lives. But disruption hurts, doesn't it? We need encouragement. Why is encouragement so important? Here's just three of many reasons. First of all, people are hurting. In fact, we all probably have, have emotional or spiritual pain that hinders 
our growth as disciples. Secondly, we often get discouraged in our walk with God. God, why, why am I not better than I am after these 50 years? Why, is, why are you taking so long? And then third, as we learned a few weeks ago, we get stuck. We get stuck spiritually. We need biblical encouragement. We need to be reminded of old truths forgotten. We need to, be, we need to hear new truths, perhaps not yet learned or experienced. So let's face it, we all need encouragement in our, in our Christian lives, especially if we want to be a whole church of whole disciples. So what's biblical encouragement? Biblical encouragement basically is, is it communicates verbally or by action God's truth in ways which strengthen believers to follow Christ and become whole disciples. One man said, encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. So my sermon outline, which is going to take a, a more applicational approach this morning, has three main points. First, Paul intentionally encouraged churches. Encouragers are intentional. That's the first six verses. Secondly, Paul intentionally encouraged churches by the message of God's word. Encouragers use God's word. That's in various, various verses like verses 2, 7, and 11. And third, Paul intentionally encouraged this church by a miracle of God's power. Encouragers cooperate with God's spirit, verses 7 through 12. So I, I won't be covering a lot of the details of this passage, so feel free to ask me about the passage if you have questions. My big idea is this. To become a whole church of whole disciples, we need to become intentional encouragers who share God's truth in the power of God's Spirit. Let me say that again. To become a whole church of whole disciples, we need to become intentional encouragers who share God's truth in the power of God's Spirit. So as we enter the text, we see first that, one, Paul intentionally encouraged churches. Encourages are intentional. And it's easy to notice right away that Paul had an extensive travel plan. Paul's been on his third missionary journey now for over three years. This narrative of just 12 verses describes another year in his life of ministry. The first six verses take over 11 months. The last six verses slow down to one day. He had quite an itinerary up to Troas, according to 2 Corinthians, across the Macedonia and down to Corinth, and then back up to Philippi and back to Troas again. And his trip took most of a year. And oh, my aching feet. This round trip was around 1,800 miles. The travel time alone would have been around 80 days if he walked. So what was Paul's purpose for all that travel, for all that wear and tear on his feet? His purpose was simply to encourage, build up, and strengthen his churches. In chapter 18, verse 23, Luke wrote that Paul's purpose for his third missionary journey was to strengthen his network of churches. And we just read in our passage that he encouraged churches in Ephesus and Macedonia and in, we'll see, in Troas. 
And also, while in Macedonia and Greece, he encouraged churches by writing 2 Corinthians and Romans. So Paul's purpose was to encourage his churches. And there's a lesson here for us. Are we intentionally encouraging, building up, and strengthening others in their faith? The key word is intentional for me, for I know from my experience that if I do not, if I do not intentionally plan to do something, chances are it doesn't get done. Consider this. Jesus is intentionally building his church, and there was Paul almost 2,000 years ago intentionally building Jesus' church. So what, would, what should we be about? Intentionally building his church. That should be our life purpose, shouldn't it? Put it another way, our, our purpose for life should be something like this, three things. First, we should intentionally seek to bring others into Christ's church by the, by the gospel. Second, we should intentionally press on ourselves to maturity in Christ by putting sin to death and putting on the character of Christ. Third, we should intentionally encourage other disciples to move towards maturity in Christ. That's biblical encouragement. So what have we learned so far? Encouragers are intentional. How did Paul intentionally encourage? My second point is this. Paul intentionally encouraged churches by the message of God's word. In other words, encouragers use God's word. On the first day of the week, we read in verse 7, on the first day of the week when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And then skipping to verse 11, after the miracle, and when Paul had gone, had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. That Sunday night was a night to remember, full of encouragement. Here's some of the different ways. First, they gathered to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Perhaps why they were meeting on Sunday rather than Saturday. Remembering Jesus' resurrection is encouraging. Second, they gathered to experience the Lord's Supper. The term to break bread had a dual connotation. Of, of both a fellowship meal, like our potlucks, plus the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Remembering our beautiful Savior is encouraging. But third, they gathered to hear the Lord's word for an unusual amount of time. Paul lectured and discussed past midnight. And then after the resurrection miracle, they conversed probably a question and answer time until dawn. But notice, Paul wanted, his passion was to teach as long as he could in order to establish them strong in the way of Jesus strong in what he called the traditions of the faith. And while Luke does not say what Paul taught, I bet he taught many of the concepts he wrote about just previously in 2 Corinthians and in Romans, things such as new resurrection life in Jesus. But notice also, the church wanted to listen as long as necessary. We could get off on how long our sermons should be, but I won't go there, okay? All right. So are we passionate about learning God's truth? Learning God's truth is crucial to becoming a disciple. And it's necessary in order to become a biblical encourager, which brings me to my second major application. 
The first one was encouragers are intentional. The second one is encouragers use God's word. Building or biblical encouragement isn't simply cheerleading. You can do it. It's teaching, reminding, and exhorting in God's truth. Let me illustrate it. A couple decided that they should do something to strengthen their marriage. So, of all things, they decided to go duck hunting together. They'd heard of other folks going duck hunting with dogs, so they decided that they needed a good hunting dog. They got all their equipment together, including the dog, and they went duck hunting. At the end of the day, no ducks. The husband looked at his wife and said, Honey, we've got to be doing something wrong here. And then the wife said, well, maybe if we can throw the dog a little higher, he can catch a duck. The point of that is this. You need the right equipment to be a duck hunter. Okay? So also, a key part of growing in Christ is to be properly equipped. Equipped equi encouragement from God's word helps equip us to follow God or follow Christ more fully. In other words, to become a whole church of whole disciples we must intentionally encourage one another by prayerfully sharing God's word. How? Stay tuned and don't fall asleep, okay? okay. Make sure I get that. So my third point is this. Encouragement is not up to us alone as we see the Holy Spirit's involved. Paul intentionally encouraged the church with a miracle of God's word. We read in, in verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and not a little comforted. I think they were more than comforted. I think, well, the word there could have been translated encouraged rather than comforted. I think they were encouraged by Paul's teaching and the miracle. So as I tell the story here... I'm really going to try not to notice anybody falling asleep out there, okay? But if so, you're in good company. Okay, I've been there too. But so Paul has been speaking for a long, 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 long time, past midnight. And Eutychus, a teenager or a young man, possibly a slave, got sleepy, which is easy to understand, for while Paul's sermon points were wonderful, evidently he wasn't necessarily a great speaker. And the room may have been conducive to the nods and to slumber. It says there were many lamps. Now picture a room at night, dark, with a whole bunch of candles around, flickering. You got the ambiance there? Okay. And poor Eutychus, he may have been tired already from a long day's work. Can you blame him for nodding off? And so having fought valiantly, he finally succumbed to the Sandman. He fell out a third-store window, and he died. He was dead 
Luke says. Wow, what a sovereignly planned sermon interruption. But it was intended to teach something. What a sovereignly planned miracle, a resurrection miracle. And what's interesting is this miracle is, Luke describes it in ways, in a fashion reminiscent of the miracles of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. He's saying that Paul was like God's Old Testament prophets. What an interruption, what a miracle, and what a great way to wake up a congregation. You think they were awake after that? You think they were excited? Paul wasn't done. He spoke until morning. They probably had questions and answers. Do you think they asked about the sermon? Do you think Paul, excuse me, no, not, he didn't ask about the sermon. Did you think they asked about the miracle? Yeah. Do you think Paul used the miracle as a lesson? Probably. So what was Luke driving at by including this miracle? Central to his purpose in Acts is defending Paul's mission to the Gentiles as apostolic. Directed and empowered by God himself. But how did, how did God authenticate his messengers? Miracles. This miracle, along with his earlier miracles, authenticates Paul as God's apostolic witness. So we can believe what he wrote. We can believe that the spread of the gospel to Gentiles is not an aberration or an error. It is the plan of God all along. And Luke is encouraging us to be like Paul and continue building Christ's church. That's great, but perhaps Luke had a second purpose for his message, for his miracle, actually. Eutychus' name means fortunate. I think the inclusion of his name is fortuitous and points to perhaps a second meaning to this miracle that Luke may have intended. Eutychus' name could have been Atticus, which means unfortunate. But his name wasn't unfortunate, it was Fortunate. So perhaps this miracle is a great object lesson of the new covenant life that Paul probably was teaching about before and after the miracle. And like Eutychus, we are fortunate. When we believe in Jesus, we died. The old person died. And we were raised to a new life, a new creation is what we are. We need to hear this news and implications of it again and again. That's encouragement. So be encouraged. The Christian life is a miracle of transformation. We died and rose again. I love how Prof. Zane Hodges, one of my professors, described this kind of life. He said the true Christian life is, first, a miraculous new life. Second, through being transformed by God's Spirit. Third, coming to be an experience what we already are in our innermost being. Four, as we live with our hearts open to God's word. Five, and live in prayer. Six, and form a spiritual mindset, a renewed mind. So there are miracles all over the Christian life. Miracles of resurrection, transformation, regeneration, union with Jesus, a new heart, the miracle of the Bible answered prayer. It goes on and on. But it's a process that on the outside often appears less than miraculous, doesn't it? So the Christian life is full of miracles, 
but so is encouragement. Now, don't miss this. As you encourage others, remember this. When we encourage other believers, we are cooperating with who? The Holy Spirit. And are participating in small, perhaps unseen, miracles of transformation. Wow. One of our old college slogans was, if that doesn't turn you on, you don't have any switches. Let me say that one more time in case you were sleeping. When we encourage other believers, we are cooperating with God's Spirit and are participating in a small, perhaps unseen, miracle of transformation. Picture yourself as a newly regenerate Christian. You have a new heart. You are a new creation in the image of Jesus. You are a new subspecies of humanity. Instead of being homo sapiens death-like, we are homo sapiens Christ-like. Now, unfortunately, that new Christ-like heart and that life, that new life is encased in what Paul calls the flesh. So we're new on the inside, but we're encased in what Paul calls the flesh. So picture yourself as a piece of solid gold encased in a ball of black rock. When we encourage, we're helping another brother or sister chip away the rock the rock-like flesh, so that the solid gold, Christ-like core can be seen more. So in review, in order to become a whole church of whole disciples, we should do three things when it comes to encouragement. One, intentionally plan to encourage. Two, use God's truth to encourage. Three, encourage in the power of God's Spirit. So encouragement is like peanut butter. Spread it around, and it helps things stick together. Here's a few tips. Here's a few tips about how God can use us to encourage one another. This comes from a little booklet called How to Love Your Church on Sunday. Three key words to remember are pray, plan, and participate. First, Pray through the week that God will use you to encourage others to take a step toward maturity in Christ. And pray also that God will give you wisdom about who to sit with or who to welcome or who to listen to or who to pray with. And so pray, but also plan. Get ready to encourage. Consider who to welcome. Who who should I sit with this week? Who should I encourage? Who have I heard who's going through a hard time? And then write down something meaningful you've learned from God's Word. Or think of an encouraging verse or thought to share. And then finally, when you step through the door on Sunday morning or at your community group or when you're meeting a friend, participate. Adjust your focus off of yourself and onto others. Be an encourager. Remember remember the old poster with a picture of Uncle Sam on the front? Pointing a finger at you and saying, I want you. Well, more importantly, God wants us. God wants all of us to be encouragers. Working to make Parkview a whole church of whole disciples of Jesus. 
Let me close with a bit of biblical encouragement. Sometimes I wonder, and you do too, wouldn't it be great if when we placed our trust in Jesus and we were born again and when we were saved, that immediately we were completely transformed and we're transferred to a perfect heaven? Wouldn't that be great? But God has a different plan, doesn't he? It's a good plan, even though I, I might not feel it or might not understand it at times. So when you don't feel fortunate, when life is hard and it doesn't let up and there seems to be no end in sight, when you're stuck spiritually, look to Jesus. Yesterday I thought, Jesus had to die on the cross, but why did he have to go through those 33 years of living in a broken, Satan-dominated, frustrating world, fighting temptation, rejection, and the devil? Couldn't he have just come maybe a few days before the cross and done it? I wonder, when Jesus was attending the synagogue school as a child, was he ever teased for being a goody-two-shoes? Did other students demand, lighten up, you're making us look bad? Remember when Jesus, the God of the universe, in flesh, was a child and was accidentally left behind when his parents left him in Jerusalem after the Passover? They were worried sick, and they, but they came back and they found him in the temple. And remember what Jesus said? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And then the next thing is, Luke writes is beautiful. Luke writes, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Like us, it was necessary for Jesus to go through a process. The author of Hebrews writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, may receive grace and find, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when you go through hard times, be encouraged, look to Jesus. And when you see a brother or sister going through a hard time or stuck in their faith, Encourage them biblically. Help them look to Jesus.